0: Good morning Fellowship Fayetteville. So good to be here, yes. Grateful that y'all are here today. Welcome, uh, those of you that are here uh, in the room with us today, but also those of you that are here with us on the live stream. We are so glad that y'all are here. We get a chance to connect with y'all this morning. Uh, let me introduce myself. I, uh, my name is Andy, uh, and I have the great privilege of being able to lead our Celebrate Recovery ministry here at Fellowship Fayetteville. Uh, you know, uh, just a couple weeks ago, we wrapped up our last series, the, the New Creation series coming out of Easter, as we focused on what, what does it look like for the gospel To really impact the way that we live and and the way that we deal with all of the hurts, the hangups, and the habits that that we bring with us into this place each and every week. And, And I'm grateful that coming out of that series, it's just reaffirmed that this church is a safe place where we can bring our brokenness, but it's also a safe place where we can find the healing and hope that we need to deal with the brokenness that's going on within our lives. And and to that end, we also wanted to invite you to a a special part of Fellowship Fayetteville called Celebrate Recovery that happens every single Friday night here in this room. a place for us to to remind each other the freedom and healing that's found in Jesus as we walk together through this and as we continue to be a church that uh, is honest about where we're at but is also diligently seeking Christ together as a family. A uh, couple of quick things we wanted to remind you of, first and foremost. Uh, this coming Tuesday, we have our next Young Adults Worship Gathering that's uh, happening uh, this, this Tuesday, May 18th at 7 p.m. as we're talking through what does it look like for us to abide in Christ. And so if you're a young adult and you're looking for uh, some community with other folks that are in your season of life, we would love for you uh, to come and be a part of that, and we'd love to see you there. Uh, also, we have uh, just a reminder that our Women's Summer Study is starting on June 8th, Uh, and if you're interested in in joining that, uh, please make sure that you register for that on the website, that way our our teams know uh, how many leaders we need, and we can get everything covered on that, and we're so excited if you're wanting to jump in on that. Uh, Also, we are so excited today That we get to jump into a a brand new series, walking through the book of Hebrews as we as we walk through that together this summer and and really focus on and and, and dive into the supremacy of Jesus, but also the joy that's found in following him together. Uh, And and as a guide to walk through that, our, our incredible media team and our teaching team have put together this. Awesome uh, study guide and book uh, to help us walk through this this summer as we walk through Hebrews and so uh, if you haven't picked one of these up you can do so they're $5, they're out in the foyer Uh, and so after this this service here if you want to go grab those uh, please do that because they really are just an incredible tool for us to walk through this uh, throughout the week as we're walking through Hebrews this summer Uh, and while you're out in the foyer uh, check out our new Spectra Art exhibit. Spectra Art is a a group of artists here in Northwest Arkansas. And, and what they have done for this series is they've looked at the book of Hebrews and they have come up with some art pieces in response to some of the passages that we'll be walking through. And so go check that out in the foyer. We, we pray that that's an encouragement for you. And if, if you're an artist here and you're wanting to get plugged into Spectra, you can email us at spectrafellowshipnwa.org. And we would love to get you plugged in with that as well. Well, that being said, we're gonna continue in in worship this morning, and as we do so, would you all uh, just please stand together and, and greet somebody beside you. Give them a wave, say hello to them as we continue to worship together as a church family this morning.
1: his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. In light of that, Let's continue standing. Let's worship the one true King this morning. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high, and I will praise Him. He is exalted, forever exalted, and I will praise. You guys can have a seat.
2: Well, good morning, Fellowship. Welcome. My name's Michael. I'm on the community team here at Fellowship Favel. I'm so glad you're here to worship with us today. Those of you joining us on the live stream, we're so glad to have you with us digitally this morning. It's a great day to be gathered just to worship the Lord together. Well, I don't know about y'all, but if you're like me, over the last 15 months, Probably watched a little Netflix. I love that Formula One documentary they have on there. I think I like that show more than I like the actual races. One of the shows that some of y'all might have watched came out in July of 2020 was this show called Unsolved Mysteries. Kind of blew up for Netflix. It was really a, a popular new show. But those of you who are my age know, that ain't a new show. That thing came out in 1987. And we loved it. This dude, Robert Stack, he can make anything sound scary. (laughs) A family comes home after a day at the park only to find that their television remote is missing. We'd be like, man, something bad happened to that TV remote. We love that there's something about helping to solve an unsolved crime, an unsolved mystery, making the unknown known that we all enjoy. We all wanna be a detective. Well, I bring it up because, as Andy said, we're starting a new series this week and surrounding the book of Hebrews. There are some legitimate unsolved mysteries. There are some things we don't know. Normally, if I were up here to introduce a new book that we're gonna study, I would answer the big questions. Who, what, where, why, when? But when it comes to the book of Hebrews, some of those questions are mysteries. When was the book of Hebrews written? We're not sure. To whom was the book of Hebrews written? We don't really know. And the big one, who wrote Hebrews? We don't know. But just like with any mystery, where there's unknown, there are also clues. And some of those clues can help us pull some things together that are gonna help us make sense of this book as we work our way through it. So when was it written? Well, I and a lot of other people think it was probably written around the 60s AD, so probably about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why do we think that? Well, most of you know that in 70 AD, the temple in Jerusalem was completely destroyed by the Romans. It put a stop to temple worship up to this very day, up through today, there has not been a sacrifice made at the temple in Jerusalem since 70 AD. And as we're gonna see as we work our way through the book, the writer is gonna go on and on about how Jesus is better than temple worship. It seems like he would have mentioned that temple worship had been discontinued. That would have been a big check mark in favor of his argument. So, probably written in the 60s, but before 70 AD. Who was it written to? Well, we don't know for sure, but the title of the book gives us a big clue. That word Hebrew, it's another word for Israelite, or Jew, to this very day, the language of Israel is Hebrew. And as we go through the book, we're gonna see the author assumes the readers have an extensive working knowledge of the Mosaic law of temple worship, of Old Testament traditions. The writer's gonna quote freely from the Old Testament, and so it seems like he's writing to people who have an understanding of Jewish worship. So they were probably Hebrew Christians, Jews who had converted to Christianity, but now, based on the themes of the book, we're gonna see, we're facing persecution. And then the big one who wrote the book of Hebrews? Well, there's a lot of guesses, there's a lot of opinions. Some more plausible than others. Some of you might have a carefully considered opinion of who you think wrote the book of Hebrews, but the truth is, we really don't know. And what's interesting is, you can go all the way back to the third century, and we see the church fathers saying, only God knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. And so, just like with any unsolved mystery that we might see on Netflix, I'm gonna give us a scenario. I'm gonna paint a picture. And it might or might not be exactly what happened, but I think imagining it will help us as we process the book of Hebrews. So imagine this with me. There's a group of Jewish families. They live just outside Rome in Italy. And one day, this traveling preacher comes and he tells them the news that's been sweeping the Roman Empire that there was a man in Jerusalem. And that many of the promises pointing to the Messiah seem to be fulfilled in that man. And that man was crucified by the Romans and then resurrected to life. And this little group of Jewish families, they believe that gospel message and they become Christ followers. As time goes on, they, they share that good news with their neighbors and they see their children raised to be followers of Jesus. But then a decade or two down the road, things start to change. Things aren't going so well for the Roman government. And they start blaming these Christ followers for a lot of their problems. The next thing they know, their Jewish friends and neighbors are looking at them sideways. They stop doing business with them. They stop inviting them to community events. And they start to get the sense that real persecution is coming. And so one day they get a letter. It's from someone they trust, someone they know, a spiritual leader. And so they gather in a home, 15, maybe 20 people, And they open it up, and they read the letter to the Hebrews. And what they find is the writer, someone they know, someone they trust, telling them, Jesus is better than any other option, so don't give up. Don't quit. Don't go back to what you were doing before you knew Christ. And out of that, we're going to get our major themes for the book of Hebrews. Here's what we're going to see as we work our way through it. The first theme is the superiority of Jesus. Week after week, we're gonna see the author tell us Jesus is better, Jesus is greater. And the second theme flows right out of that, perseverance. Jesus is the greater thing, therefore, don't quit. Don't go back, don't give up. Keep following Jesus. So y'all keep an eye out for those themes as we work our way through the book. Make note where you see those in the text. Because, yeah, there's some mysteries around this book, but they don't take anything away from its centrality in helping us understand the person and work of Jesus. That's the core message. And, you know, when the Bible talks about a mystery, it's not talking about something unsolved. When the Bible talks about a mystery, it's something previously hidden but now revealed. And that's what Hebrews is. The mystery of Jesus now revealed. Hebrews is going to show us Jesus. He's the Messiah, the Christ. He's the King. He's the Son of God.
1: Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. He the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity, in our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come, look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. stand together in worship church come behold the wondrous mystery he the perfect son of man in his living in his suffering never trace nor stain of sin see the truth Christ in power, resurrected, as we will be when.
3: Oh After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs.
2: Y'all can have a seat. Thanks, Mary Beth. Well, it would be hard for me to come up with any four verses in the entire Bible more loaded with meaning more freighted with doctrine, more powerful than the first four verses of Hebrews that Mary Beth just read for us. In the original Greek, it is 72 words, one sentence. One commentator said, this four verses is the apex of linguistic style in the entire New Testament. In other words, Y'all, it doesn't get any better than that. These four verses. One sentence that rests on one verb and its subject. God has spoken. What an intro. God has spoken. Because if God has spoken, and according to Hebrews, he has don't we all wanna know what he said? But before the author's gonna get to that, he's gonna open up with a couple of fairly unusual adverbs in the Greek, long ago, and then at many times and in many ways. Now, a quick timeout here. Does that sound like the opening of a letter to you? <laughs> My grandma's here, Nana, glad you're here. She's written me a lot of letters over the years. They never began long ago at many times and in many ways. No, they began dear Michael. And that's how letters worked in the New Testament era too. So what's going on here? Well, we call it the letter to the Hebrews, but we're gonna see as we work our way through it, a lot of times it doesn't feel like a letter at all. One commentator said it begins like an essay, continues like a sermon, and ends like a letter. Now, if you've grown up around the church or you've spent any time studying the book of Hebrews, what do we always say? The writer to the Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews. We hear it over and over. We're used to it. You're gonna hear me say that too. I've already said it this morning. The writer to the Hebrews. But I'm gonna add another one. I'm also gonna call him the preacher because I think Hebrews is actually a sermon. I would call it a sermonic letter. I think the preacher wrote out a sermon he knew some people needed to hear, and he sent it to them like a letter. See, today, we just forward him a podcast. But he didn't have that option. So I think he wrote out this sermon, and then he made some personal remarks at the end that make it feel like a letter, and then he sent it to this group of believers that he knew needed to be reminded, Jesus is greater, so don't give up. And by the way, as I revisit those two main themes that I mentioned earlier, I wanna add a third, it's it's not really a theme, it's more of a, a prayer for all of us. See, I believe one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit inspired the writer to the Hebrews and then inspired the early church to include this in the Bible was so that we could all see better how our Old and New Testaments fit together. See, as modern readers, when we study the Old Testament, it can be so confusing. Rituals and sacrifices, tents and temples, kings and kingdoms. And my prayer is that as we study the book of Hebrews, this book is gonna see how, help us see how all of it, all of it, pointed ahead to Jesus. What the writer to the Hebrews is gonna show us is that all that Old Testament worship, it was good and it was ordained by God and it was pleasing to God, but it was never designed to be permanent. It was always temporary to pave the way for the greater thing, the thing that's now come, Jesus. So with that in mind, let's take a closer look at the brilliance of this four-verse, Holy Spirit-inspired introduction to a sermon that was written for them and for us look with me at hebrews chapter one beginning in verse one long ago at many times and in many ways god spoke to our fathers by the prophets so in the past which we're going to see as we move into this means in the old testament days god spoke this is key God is a self-revealing God. Everything we know about God, we know because he's revealed it. And everything we don't know about God, we don't know because he's chosen not to reveal it. Let me give you an example. God is a creator. How do we know? Because he created. And in doing so, he revealed something about himself. And so the preacher says here, in the past, he spoke. How did he speak? Oh, Lots of ways. Just a few of the ways that we see God speaking in the Old Testament. Visions and dreams. A burning bush. A pillar of fire. Once he spoke through a donkey. He spoke in a still, small voice. He spoke by writing on the wall with his finger in Daniel. We could go on and on, naming all these ways. And the preacher says, oh, he spoke lots of times in lots of ways, and he spoke through the prophets. Moses, Abraham, Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, we could keep naming them. God spoke through them to our fathers, the people of Israel. So God revealed himself at different times and through different ways, but, begins verse two, something's different now. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. This phrase He, God, has spoken is the heart of this whole introductory passage. Now, when we hear last days, we think of the time right before Christ returns. When we hear last days, we think war and famine and the impending return of Jesus. But that's not what this preacher's talking about. When he and many of the other New Testament writers use that phrase, the last days, they mean the last period in redemptive history, which began with the resurrection and will go up to... Jesus returned to reign and rule on the earth. And so to him and to the recipients of the letter, they were living in the last days. And we are living in the last days because we live in the period between the resurrection and the return. And the preacher's gonna use that to show us a series of contrasts between how God revealed himself in the Old Testament versus how he reveals himself in the last days, which is now. See, then he spoke by the prophets, but today he's speaking by his son, Jesus. In the past, he spoke to their fathers, their ancestors, Israel, but today he speaks to us. And back then, he spoke in lots of different ways and lots of different times, but now in Jesus, he's spoken once and for all. Here's what the writer wants us to see. Jesus Christ is God's ultimate revelation. In other words, Jesus is the final word, period. If you're a note taker, write that down. Jesus is the final word. We're not looking for further revelation. We're not looking for a prophet, We're not looking for a new revelation from an angel. Jesus is the final, ultimate, greatest revelation of God, period. And now the preacher's gonna give us seven statements to affirm this fact. That's how we know he's a preacher. He has seven, right? He has to have seven or three. If they all started with the same letter, we would know for sure he was a preacher. Here are the seven, and I want you to notice, these all come from Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. He's already, even in the intro, bringing the Old Testament and the New Testament together in Christ. So here's the seven. Number one, Jesus is the heir of all things. That makes sense. He's the son, therefore he's the heir. He will inherit everything that belongs to his father. What belongs to his father? Everything. And Paul tells us in Romans 8 that we are co-heirs with Christ. So those of us who are followers of Jesus, we're going to inherit along with him everything. What an incredible promise right out of the gate. Second affirmation that Jesus is the final word, he's the creator. The writer says, through him, God created the world. Theologians call Jesus the agent of creation. All those things he's going to inherit, he created them. What did he create? Well, do you have any idea how big the known universe is? Keyword is known. Scientists say that what we know about of the universe, if you started at one end, and traveled at the speed of light, it would take you 93 billion years to cross it. That's billion with a B. Jesus created all that. You know who can do that? You know who can do something like that? God. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Jesus is God. He's the agent of creation. Number three, he's the representer. In fact, he is the perfect representation of God. Jesus is the ultimate revelation and final word of God because he is the very radiance of God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. This word radiance, it means heat and light emitted from a source. So think for a second about the sun. The sun has radiance. It emits heat and light. It warms the earth. It provides daylight. It makes plants grow. It produces vitamin D in our skin. The moon can't do any of those things because it doesn't have its own radiance. It simply reflects the radiance of the sun. So while God's glory can be reflected by people, remember how Moses' face would glow after he was in God's presence? But then the glow would fade as time went by. Moses was like the moon, but Jesus is like the sun. He doesn't reflect God's radiance. He is God's radiance, personified. And then that phrase, the exact imprint, that's the word for the the stamp, the die that would stamp a coin so that they're all exactly the same. Jesus is the exact imprint of God. There's no variation. There's no flaw. He's not this close. He's a perfect representation of God himself. When we look at Jesus, we see the very nature of God revealed. Fourth affirmation that he's the final word, period. He's the sustainer. He upholds the universe. Paul says as much in his letter to the Colossians when he said Jesus holds all things together. Jesus didn't just create 93 billion light years worth of universe and then just let it run its course. No, he's actively sustaining it. From the stars that he himself spread across the galaxies to the subatomic particles, we're only now beginning to discover Jesus is sustaining all of that. And notice what the text says by the word of his power. Jesus is the final word because his word is so powerful that it holds all of creation together. Fifth affirmation that Jesus is the final word. He's the purifier. Man, do we need that or what? We are impure people. We have impure thoughts, impure motives, impure actions. Nothing about us is pure. Jesus made purification for our sins. I want to pause just for a second for us to think about this. Jesus, the creator the heir of all things, the sustainer of the universe, the one who is the radiance of God and is an exact imprint of his nature. He's the one who gave himself up in order to purify us. We're gonna talk about this more as we move through the book of Hebrews, but for now, let's just point out that Jesus is the one who did what humanity had needed since the Garden of Eden, and that is provide purification from sins. Affirmation number six, he's the ruler. That's what the preacher means when he says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the most powerful seat in the entire universe. The seat in the throne room of heaven right next to God the Father. That's where Jesus is right now, reigning and ruling. How much would it change our prayer lives if we thought of Jesus not just as our Savior, but as the King, as the Sovereign Lord who's reigning and ruling over all of creation that he'll one day inherit. And here's one more thing I want us to note here. It says he sat down. When do you sit down? Let me ask the moms in the room who still have kids at home. When do you sit down? Some of you are like, never. We just keep going until we pass out somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Most of us have a moment. We're home from our job. The kitchen is cleaned up. The kids have had a bath. Or not. My grandma used to say, put them to bed dirty and shake the sheets out in the morning. The kids are in bed, and you finally do what? Sit down, because you're done. We have four kids who are in the span of six years, and so when they were little, my wife Lee would allow herself one indulgence. When she was finally done for the day, she would open a caffeine-free Coke And sit down, because her work was finally done. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. His work of redemption was done. And so now he's seated. And then lastly, the seventh affirmation that Jesus is the final word is that he is superior to angels And the preacher says here that's demonstrated by the fact that Jesus carries a name that no angel will ever carry. He's the son of God. He has the family name, so to speak, and no angel can ever claim to have the name of God himself. And so this is what we see in Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Jesus is the final word because he's the heir, who will inherit all of creation. Everything belongs to him. He's the creator. Nothing exists that he did not create from the vastness of the universe down to subatomic particles. He's the representer. He's the perfect representation of God and he is the very glory of God made flesh. He's the sustainer. He holds all things together by the power of his word. He's the purifier. He provided the purification from sins that all of humanity had always needed. He's the ruler. He's ruling from the right hand of the Father where he sat down because his work of redemption was done. And he is superior. He's greater than the angels. And in the weeks ahead, as this book unfolds, we're gonna see he's greater than Moses. He's greater than temple worship. He's greater than the law. He's greater than anything any of us could ever know, experience, or even conceive of because Jesus is the final word, period. So what can we say about this? What does it mean that Jesus is the final word, that he's the ultimate revelation of God. Well, just look at all the areas of systematic theology that the writer touches on in these first 72 Greek words. I mean, he hits revelation, the study of the scriptures and how we get them and how we know we can trust them. He touches on Christology, the study of Christ, eschatology, the study of future things. He hits on creation or cosmology, the origins of the material world. He touches on soteriology, which is the study of salvation, angelology, what we know about angels. And what he shows us is all these areas of systematic theology, all these things that we study, they're all rooted in and only make sense in Jesus because he's the final word. Or how about the idea, the concept of time? The writer takes head on this idea that we're experiencing things in time. He touches on the past. He addresses the present. He looks ahead to the future. And he said everything in the past, the present, and the future all finds its meaning and it's all grounded in Jesus. In these first four verses of Hebrews, this incredible preacher unpacks the major themes of the Bible Different teachers, different theologians disagree on which one is preeminent, but there's three primary themes people agree on. One is the glory of God, the greatness and holiness of God, a major theme of Scripture. One is salvation, God working over the course of human history to redeem for himself a people. And the third theme is kingship. Our founding pastor, Robert Cupp, Used to famously say, the Bible asks and answers, who has the right to rule? And the writer to the Hebrews shows us all of these major themes of the Bible come together and are answered with Jesus, because Jesus is the final word. Period. So if that's what all this means, how should we respond? Well, first, by giving our lives to him. And then second, by following him, walking with him. And of course, by worshiping him. And so I wanna invite you to do each and all of those three things right now. If you've never submitted your life to the gracious reign and rule of Jesus Christ as your king, as your savior, you can do that right now. Just by confessing that you need him and the forgiveness, the purification from sins that he offers, he can become your Lord and Savior. And if you already know him, but you know you're not walking with him, you're not living in obedience to him, you can change that too. And it begins with a simple act of repentance. Just by saying to him, Jesus, beginning now, I wanna follow you instead of making my own way. And of course, We can worship him. And so I want us to take a moment and I want us to pray and I want us to thank our Father for the incredible gift that he's given us in Jesus. And then in just a moment, as Ryan and Mary Beth lead us, I want us to all just raise our voices and acknowledge out loud all that he is to us. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you Thank you for the incredible gift of your son. Through Jesus, we can know you. Through Jesus, you hear our prayers. Through Jesus, we can be reconciled to you and we can be reconciled to each other. And so, Father, I pray that we would know you better through Jesus. We would love each other more thoroughly through Jesus. I pray that we would be the church and reach out into our community with love, the love of Jesus. Because Jesus, it's all about you. It's all for you. And it always has been. You're our joy, our righteousness, our freedom, our steadfast love and our peace. And we worship you.
1: Church, let's stand and let's worship in response to that good, good news.
3: of grace.
2: the surface of what the writer to the Hebrews has to say about the superiority of Jesus. And so I want to give you a challenge. I want to challenge you in the weeks ahead. If you haven't already picked up one of these books, pick one up. If you don't have $5, put it on my tab. It's also available on the website as a PDF. And I want to challenge you. Do the daily readings. Reflect on the questions. Read the devotionals. Process the book of Hebrews and the texts that have been chosen to go along with it in the weeks ahead. And then I wanna challenge you to talk about it in your families, with your roommates, in your community group. Process this book together. And then lastly, I wanna invite you, come back here. Make church attendance a priority this summer. Make it a point to be here as we work through the incredible book of Hebrews together because I promise you, I promise you, you will be blessed. Hey, the prayer room's open through these doors to your right. Communion's available back there if you'd like to pray with someone or have someone pray for you. Fellowship Fayetteville, we love you. We'll see you back here next week.